Glad to see you all here tonight. Thankful to be here uh, and blessed by God as as usual, aren't we? Um, let's let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you so very much for watching over us and for protecting us and bringing us to this day. For your great mercy and for your kindness, and for your love. We ask, Lord God, that you would please forgive us for the wrongs we've done and help us to do better. Help us to do what's right. Help us in our service to you. These things we ask and pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ to be that will. Amen. We're going to John chapter 11 and verse 25. John 11 and verse 25. Because now we're talking about the, uh, the statement of Jesus Christ uh, when he says that I am the resurrection and the life. And what I want to talk about tonight is uh, that amazing idea uh, and, and concept and what that means to us and what it meant to the uh, early uh, Christians of that day. So John 11 and verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So imagine the hopeless feeling of having um, a, a people who are serving God but are dying regularly in service to God. And not dying because of uh, their social status or economic status or, or racial issues. They were dying specifically because they were Christians. They were people who had walked away from the old lifestyle and turned anew, turned to Jesus Christ. And no matter what happened to them, because Jesus brought this uh, this statement along and this teaching and gave them this understanding, regardless of what happened to them, they had this amazing hope of life that even though we die, we live. But it really doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about the fact that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. It's like if you die, how are you alive? And that's kind of when you go into the understanding of the who that we are. When I look out in the audience and you look at me, you see a shell, right? And the shell is not who I am. I'm, I'm stuck within this shell. The who that I am is the soul. So the spirit goes back to the, to the God who gave him, right? To the Father, to Jesus, to the Godhead. The soul dieth not, the text says. The soul doesn't die. And the body, of course, goes back to decay. Or goes back to the dust of the earth. So the soul is the person that you hear speaking, thinking, I am the, I am me, but I'm stuck in this shell. So when I leave this shell, when there's a separation that happens of, of body, soul, and spirit, the soul, the, the person who I am continues on. There is a transition from, from this shell to a new shell or from this life to a new life. And so when the Christians 
heard that and gained an understanding of the fact the soul doesn't die and that you live on forever and that this world is not it. Right? This isn't the end. This is a a place that we're passing through while in this shell. But in order to get over into the other world, we have to leave this shell or transition from one state of being to another state of being. And the person that you are will be exactly what you are and who you are today, as if as if uh, the Bible tells us that uh, in, in one instance that we close our eyes in, in death and wake up in the Hadean world. We, we close our eyes in death and we're carried off, should I say, into the Hadean world or to uh, paradise. But it's just that fast. It's just a transition. It's almost like um, to say that that if a person is standing and then he dies, before his shell hits the ground, he's already going to his next place, right? If not already, if not already there, probably going. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'll let you know when I find out. <laughs> See y'all in heaven and talk about it, though, right? All right, let's go to Acts two and uh, verse uh, verse thirty eight. Actually, Acts 23, I'm sorry. Acts 23. So no matter what happens to us in this life, uh, we have something to look forward to. So now imagine being uh, in the days of these Christians and any moment and any day, the, um, the judge, the law, if you will, the law, the judges, uh, the Pharisees, uh, the, the, you know, some authority comes and can knock on your door any day or any day you're walking into the market someone could grab you finding out that you're a christian and take you off literally taking you off to your death and so when you read in romans uh, 16 and 16 can you imagine what their greetings were like when they saw each other you know greet one another with the holy kiss all the church of christ in their greeting can you imagine what that greeting was like you know they were like Wow, you're alive. I, I heard that you'd been executed or, or, you know, can you imagine what their greetings were like when they saw each other? You know, imagine that for just a moment. In this, in this state of mind, uh, as Christians, why would you become a Christian if, if you knew that tomorrow, you, know, you get baptized today and, and later that night or tomorrow, you, you're going to be executed and then that's it. Right? There's no more life. There's no afterlife. That's just it. It's, it's over. It's finished. That's the saddest life to live. To think that there is no hope. There is no afterlife. There, there is no heaven. There is no hell. You just, you just live on this life in this wretched place and, and you remain until you grow old or, or young or whatever happens and you die. Imagine if that was really true and it was over. Finished. This place is already pretty, 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 pretty troublesome. Imagine what this world would be like if there were not hope. If there were not this idea and this understanding, even in the world of, uh, of, of, of idolatry, the idea of going off into something better. Imagine what this world would be like. I mean, there'd be no reason not to be a criminal. There'd be no reason not to be some thuggish, horrible person there'd be no re- there'd be no reason not to because you die like you know you're rover and you're dead all over right i mean that's it that's your punishment so why not get all the money 
and all of the all the gold and everything you can imagine while you're alive because when you die it's it's over it's done right what what a miserable way to live their lives so i wonder then what the pharisees really thought about in the world of religion right the Phar- the, the sadducees and the pharisees argued back and forth over the resurrection and the angels and the Sadducees, they were, there are, there is no resurrection, there are no angels. And, and, you know, it's kind of a, a, a pun, if you will, or you think about the word Sadducee, and you've heard it over and over again, that's why they're sad, you see, right? They, they had no hope, right? They were living a hopeless, religious life. But why would you live this religious life and try to be a good person and do good things and right things? If there was nothing after this life, what would be the motivation behind it? What would be the reward? What would be the punishment? There is no punishment and there is no reward. Acts 23 and verse 8. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So again, for the Sadducees, that's it. So the Romans come and knock on your door and they kill you. That's okay because that's it. You're never going to see your loved ones again. There's no hope. It's a hopeless situation. I don't, I don't understand, um, when I study the Sadducees, I don't understand the motivation of even being religious and being a Sadducee. I don't understand the role. I mean, I've asked the, uh, um, you know, people knock on my door, Jehovah's Witnesses come, and they'll tell you that, you know, the 144,000 are already in earth, on the, in the heaven. You're never getting to heaven. You're going to stay here for the rest of your life. And, and that's it. And I said, well, wow. So I own my house, but there were previous owners. Who gets the house? <laughs> you know? And ask who gets the land? I mean, this, what are we going to do? Fight for the rest of our lives? There has to be something better. And there is. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Okay. The joy of being a child of God is that it's full of positives even in the midst of all of our negatives, right? For every negative, there's a positive. And for every positive, there's a positive. It's a double positive, right? Because all the bad, God turns into good. And all the good, consistently remains good. And then in the end, there's good, because we get to go to heaven. There's so many incentives to become a child of God. So Jesus is preaching to Mary and Martha. And they're faced with the, the most difficult thing that we face in our lives, and that is the death of a loved one. Go back to John chapter 11, please. And they loved their brother, and God had an answer for them. An answer that, if you think about it, it's kind of mystical in a way. You know, that there is, there is a, a life after death. That the dead will rise. That even if you die, you will live. It's kind of mystical. Until you remember, wait a minute. 
when I go back into my Bible, and you go back into your Bible, you remember this isn't a mystery at all. The resurrection has happened before, right? In the Old Testament, there are resurrections of human beings. In the Old Testament, it isn't new at all. And so knowing that, wait a minute, there have been people who have raised, been resurrected from the dead before. What Jesus is telling us is something that's already happened and already been done. And so that helps us to remember that what is, will be, and what will be exists today. There's nothing new under the sun. Solomon had that right. So Jesus comes up to Mary and Martha, who are obviously Bible students of some sort, and he gave them hope through his preaching. And he explains to them that Lazarus is actually just fine. He's all right. In verse, I want to start back at verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So, the answer was from Martha, I know in the end, on the last day, there'll be a resurrection. Jesus is about to show her a double resurrection, right? A resurrection while he's alive, and then he'll die again and be resurrected in the end on the last day or at the last day. But he's going to show them that Lazarus is all right and that God has the power over death. How important do you think it was for the Christians of that day to witness a physical, in the flesh, resurrection, standing up against Rome and the persecutors of the church. How important was that understanding, as well as carrying that from the physical resurrection over to the spiritual resurrection to help them remain faithful to Jesus even until death? How important was it for the resurrection of Lazarus, not the Old Testament resurrections, though they know about them. The, um, you know, the young boy was raised and the person thrown in Elijah's uh, tomb was raised or in the grave, if you will, was raised. Those resurrections were great. You can read about them and read about them and believe them in faith. But what about witnessing a resurrection? How important was it to see this resurrection all the way through the persecution and to help Christians remain faithful to Jesus. What do you think? Any comments? Well, let's think, okay, over here. Let's think in this way. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the resurrection. What if someone died today, and then all the vitals were gone? I mean, it was obvious they'd been dead for many days, There's no question about them being dead. And then you see them on Sunday at worship. Mind-boggling, right? You go, well, wait, wait. You, you, You were dead. How are you alive? And then, you know, life goes on. But in the midst of a persecution from Rome, how important was that? Yes. I think it was important for them 
because of uh, all the years, hundreds of years of back and forth, the Jews behaving, not behaving, being sold into slavery or given over to um, their enemies because of their disobedience, you know, on and on and on. And then until Jesus comes, there's silence from God for so many years. And yet they are still the persecution or the, or the uh, slavery or the everything that was happening to them was still going on. That didn't change. That was still going on. And they were being oppressed. But now you got these Romans who, you know, are ruthless. And as you've talked about before, as long as you um, serve Caesar, you are fine. But these people that are, you know, questioning and and and. Well, Martha, she says who Jesus is, you know, in these verses. Um, and there are folks that are believing in him. The other Christ have come, quote unquote, Christ have come in the past. I think it's important. It was important for them to see this so that they can believe even more. Mm-hmm. Um, because Rome was staring um, them in the face. Mm-hmm. And those, like you said, that were Bible students. They knew Christ was coming. And yes, they had faith, but they were human just like us. And unlike us, they didn't have the entire Bible. But Jesus was right there in front of them and showing his power. So I think it was it was important for them for them to see that. So when you're when you're teaching the plan of salvation, right? You're out there and you okay and you and they, they understand, you know, you're baptized, uh, and then they die in the likeness of Christ, uh, and then raised in the likeness of Christ, the newness of life. And then you start saying, okay, you know, and they say, well, you know, um, I heard that this, this religion is persecuted, you know, to the end and that, and that, um, it's an illegal religion and I could, I could die tomorrow. Yeah, you, you, you could certainly the, the Romans, if they find out you're, you're a Christian, um, and they catch you doing illegal things like trying to convert someone else or, or just period. They just want to grab Christians. You could very well die tomorrow. Would you like to get baptized into Christ? And there's no resurrection. Um, it's a tough decision. And we know the reality is you could die tomorrow anyway, right? But to think that you die because you are a Christian and you still become a Christian. That resurrection had to be critical to your relationship with God, understanding right now that if I get baptized today, that tomorrow I'll live. Well, I can remember in, um, in foreign countries and baptizing people who had this belief that if they get bapt- or had gotten baptized and come to Christ, they would die instantly. What was the motivator? <laughs> the resurrection. We'd say, well, okay, you know, first of all, we don't believe that. It's contrary to what the Bible says. However, I know you believe this philosophy or idea for all of your life. And here we come along and tell you something that's contrary to that. But let me ask you this question. What if you were to be baptized and die instantly? Would you like to die with Jesus and live on forever? Or live with this fear for the rest of your life. And they would say over and over and over again, I want to die with Jesus. And then we baptize them and they'd come 
right up. And then the, the, the nice part about that was the next person that came along and you say, okay, now you saw she didn't die. <laughs> he didn't die. So now you know that, that what you've been taught isn't true. You're not going to die, right? But even if you do, would you like to die? And you go through the same, you know, idea over and over again. But the resurrection, that was the power and, um, uh, and the strength that gave us the ability to teach and help them to understand they'll die with Jesus. And that's where you want to die. So there's this amazing hope that we have in Christ. That every day, everything that you do is being counted by God. And that God, through your faith and your trust and your confidence in Him, that God, in the end, is going to bring you home. That even though you die in this life, which we all will at some point, unless Jesus comes back first, but even though we will die, we live. We live. And that's the teaching. That's the encouragement that we can give people today. That as we stare in the face of, of death, which we all are. And COVID's made it a little more interesting and very, very traumatic and uh, been so much to it. We're staring in the face of death. But the reality is, we're staring in the face of death anyway, aren't we? Every birthday, we're reminded of what? You're getting closer to your death. We're counting down, right? Even though we're counting up, we're counting down to the number of days that are marked for us on the earth. But that's all right, because Jesus said, there's resurrection, there's a hope. So we don't have to look at death the way the world does. We see it as a victory as Jesus taught it. Now, Jesus um, did raise Lazarus from the dead physically. And what happened right after he was resurrected? The Pharisees got together and made a plan and said, let's kill him again. You know, as if once wasn't enough. Matthew chapter uh, 22. So now I want us to think for just a moment, this idea of hope. This is, you know, to be hopefully and prayerfully to... To leave here rejoicing. I mean really, truly rejoicing uh, over the fact of what God tells us when he says, even if you die, you live. Just kind of think about it. I know we understand that from an academic level. We can never understand it from a, a, a biological level, if you will, or uh, the idea of, of you know life and, and death and, and in the afterlife. We've never been there before. I want you to increase your faith tonight and recognize that all the tragedy that we're seeing right now in India in particular, right? The new epicenter, if you will, of all the tragedy. Think about our, our older brethren, you know, the Vietnam War, World War One, World War Two, maybe more, more so World War Two, Korean conflict. All the things that happen, Pearl Harbor, all the things that have happened in our lifetime, all the death that we see. All the death that we hear about as a, as a kingdom of believers, as the children of God, I pray that, that we will be able to transition our minds, not that it's not going to hurt, the sting of death will always be there, but to transition our minds to recognize the beauty in death. The beauty. No longer the tragic or the tragedy 
but the beauty in the transition from this life to the life to come. So Jesus in his teaching, Matthew 22 and verse 31. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what does that mean? Every single human being that died with God is still alive. So think about that, right? What are we, 8,000, 9,000 years out? Over the last eight, 9,000 years of people living and dying, every one of them, beginning with Adam, that have died with God are alive and well. How's your faith? How's your faith? Now, notice what it says. I'm going to read it again. Verse 31. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by whom? By God. Now, God who created us is telling us, I need you to know that every human being that has died with God, every single one of them, From Adam until the last man on the face of this earth, every single one of them are alive and well. We don't know what they're doing exactly, but we know they are alive and well. We also know, Matthew 17, that there's some activity in some way Verse 1, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And who was there? Moses, Elijah, and transfigured was Jesus. So Jesus showed that he wasn't just God and man He was all God. And I don't know what exactly happened in the transfiguration, but whatever it was, it was enough. The Luke account tells us that it really frightened Peter and James and John. They were terrified. That's why Peter said, you know, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what else to say. Peter hadn't learned to keep his mouth shut at this point. But can you imagine the transfiguration and what that may have looked like? You know, Jesus and, you know, was it, was it, was he bright and, and, and shining and as the sun and whatever it was, he is talking with not dead people, but living people. And it's funny that we talk more about what Jesus wrote on the sand, but never really talk about what Moses, Jesus, and Elijah were talking about. In the transfiguration. I mean, that's the, that's more incredible than what he wrote in the sand and made everyone walk away. It's what were they, what were they talking about during the transfiguration? But the point of the matter is that Moses and Elijah are living 
and well. Revelation chapter 6. The Christians witnessed the, the beheading of their brethren. And, and how, how, how horrific a scene that had to have been. Their loved ones, their love, their family loved ones, their, the church member loved, the Christian loved ones being beheaded. Now when you're beheaded, you can't talk. But in the resurrection, don't worry if you lose your arm or your eyes or your head because you get it all back. So the beheaded saints, their, their, their bodies were decapitated, but not them, not the soul, the person that was alive within them. There was a separation between body, soul, and spirit, but the soul doesn't die. You can't kill the soul. No man can. Jesus said that in Matthew 10 and verse 28. Do not fear him who can kill the body, but unable to kill the soul. Fear him who can kill both body and soul in the fires of hell. Fear God, not man. So these beheaded saints, their, their souls have been separated from the spirit and from their bodies. And look at verse 9. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And we find out later they were beheaded. Slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony of which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, the word saying shouldn't be there if they lost their heads. How could they say anything? The point is, it doesn't matter how you die. They can't kill the soul. They can do whatever they want to the physical body. But they cannot harm the soul. In other words, what Jesus was saying in that powerful statement that I am the resurrection and the life, that when you leave this earth, when you leave this world, you're only leaving your physical body in this world. But you, you're all right. You're fine. It is a transition from this life to the next. What does 1 Corinthians 15 tell us? That that flesh and blood cannot inherit right? the kingdom of heaven. Can't happen. There has to be a separation so that we can live forever and never die. So instead of the, the uh, you know, the fear of death, Hebrews tells us that, that we're afraid of dying. We're afraid of being separate. We've been in this thing since since birth, right? You know, from the seed to here we are right now, we're, we're in this flesh, and well, I don't know, I don't want to live without, without a flesh. <laughs> I mean, because that's all I know, but the reality is, when I really think about it, based on what the scriptures are saying, when you raise your thinking to a spiritual level, you recognize that Second Corinthians 5 is true. When it says, we groan in this body, we want to get out, but we don't want to be unclothed. We want that new body from God, whatever that is going to be. Acts 24, better than this body, that's for sure, because it will never die. It will not decay. Uh, it will be uh, a forever body. Acts 24, a spirit body, if you will. Verse 14 and 15. 
But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is according in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So this resurrection, this hope, is not something that Jesus taught alone, but this hope in God is something the fathers taught. Right? This hope in God is something the fathers taught. Now it's interesting when you think about that. Well, well, how many scriptures in the Old Testament talk about a resurrection or or an afterlife? Well, think about that for a moment. You know, here's something the fathers taught. They taught about this afterlife, and yet this life with God forever and eternity and the heavens. And and yet when you go to the Old Testament, you start reading about all these physical, historical events that happen in people's lives. And yet, you know, they had this amazing faith in God through the prophets and through the fathers and through the law. So much so to where, what did David say when his child was born? Bathsheba, the child became sick to the point of death. And then what did what did David say? I won't go to him. I, he cannot come to me when he died, but I'll go to him. See, something that was understood was that we serve a living God, not a dead one. Not only is God living, we serve a God who speaks. Not only do we serve a God who speaks, we serve a God who has conversations with people. Not only do we serve a God who has conversations with people, we serve a God who comes down to the earth and walks on it. We serve a living God. A living God who has made it clear that he's the God of the living, not the dead. And even though Abel was dead, what did God say? No, Abel's blood still speaks. You know, we, we serve the living God. Now, back in the days, they served dead gods. We serve a living God. So the hope that we have in Jesus is so powerful that it's the one thing that should keep us faithful to God until we depart from this earth. I want to look at Romans chapter, chapter one. We are, we are the, the justified by faith, right? Everything we do, thank God, we're living and we're striving uh, to the best of our ability to live for Jesus. And because we've been crucified with Christ, we are the justified. And then, and then Romans, and we're sanctified, right? We're the sanctified. We're the, we're the justified. We are the redeemed. Uh, in the Lord, we are the people of God. We are the transitioners. We're not just Christians. We're transitioners. We're people who will transition from a world of, of the physical to a world of the spiritual. Oh, and the wicked will too, yet they don't believe it. But theirs is an everlasting death where they are. They are continually uh, receiving the punishments of hell. But we receive the glorious, abundant living of God. Now Romans 1 and, and verse 4 the resurrection is a blessing. Who has declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according 
to the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus. He told them about it. He preached it to them. He prophesied about it. And they went to the tomb and he wasn't there. It made no sense. I mean, they understood it academically, but it didn't make sense. How is his body gone? And then you start thinking about everything that happened. We arrived, and the guards were there, but they said nothing. Well, that's not like a Roman guard to say nothing. They said nothing. And we walked in, and we saw the face cloth rolled up in one place. And we saw the body cloth folded in another place. And there was an angel in there, and and then there were two angels in there, and he, he's alive. So why do you want to be a Christian? Because I want to live. Right? I want to live. So the power of the resurrection is, is proclaimed continuously throughout the early Christian age. And that's what's bringing people to Christ. Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. And people are being persecuted by the Romans, whether they're Christians or not. Romans were bullies. And folks were dying whether they were Christians or not. But Christians in particular were targeted and treated very cruelly or very inhumanely. But it was the power of the resurrection that drove people in droves to Christianity. In verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. The resurrection brought evidence to the forgiveness of sins, right? If it weren't for the resurrection, we would not have our sins forgiven. Therefore, we would not be able to live in, in a glorious kingdom with the Father. But because of the resurrection, which is undeniable at this point, that's evidence of the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we're not living a hopeless life. We are living a life that is full of hope. And hope does not disappoint, right? Because God cannot lie. And so we have this amazing promise filled with evidence, right? All of this evidence that has come from God, the resurrections of the past, the resurrections in the new, as you're reading now, and then our future resurrections that are to come. Look at Revelation chapter chapter 1 and verse 17. As we look at, at death, to be able to transition spiritually into the understanding of what God really is doing for us, He's, he's rescuing us, delivering us. He's bringing us home. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. 
So 60 some years later, there's this great powerful reminder of the resurrection. They've already gone through AD 70, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, all hope in, in Judaism is gone. The only hope that was alive was this hope in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the children of God, the children of God, you know what's interesting about the destruction of Jerusalem? It is written uh, in the book of Josephus that when Jesus said, you know, remember what the prophet Daniel and what he said, when you see the, the army surround Jerusalem, the abomination of desolation. Whatever you're doing, stop and flee toward the mountains. Now, the, the weird thing about that is, that sounds like an army statement because you're going toward the enemy, not away from the enemy. Because the enemy surrounds Jerusalem. Well, well, what happened was, though the army surrounded Jerusalem for some strange reason, everyone, they say, which Josephus clarifies it, God cleared the armies out. When the Christians ran toward the mountains, the armies backed away. No one knows why. Of course we do. They let all the Christians out. They all fled to the mountains and the destruction of Jerusalem. It is accounted that all the faithful Christians who fled, none of them lost their lives. They all did what God told them to do. They believed and trusted in Jesus. And so they witnessed, like we're witnessing, they witnessed death even on a mass scale in, in that time, in that destruction of Jerusalem. But their hope was in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. There's evidence, not only of the forgiveness of our sins, but there's evidence that there is life. There's truly life after death. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. Now, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. This resurrection, the resur- everything's about the resurrection, church. You can remember everything's about the resurrection. That though we die physically, we fall slain on the earth, though we fall down dead. That man is gone. That woman who was trapped in this body, this shell, they're already gone home. They're gone home. And that's the joy of being a child of God. You stay faithful to Jesus. It is absolutely impossible for you to lose. Not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ. And so... I encourage you tonight, we'll pick this up, uh, Lowell the next week. I encourage you tonight, stay faithful. Stay faithful to God until death does you part. Meaning we leave from this earth. Stay faithful. Stay true to God until we leave this earth. You can't lose. So thank you for your time tonight. Uh, thank you for, uh, your, your attention. And I just hope that when you think about this, that we can transition our minds from, from the physical laws and struggles of life to that which is spiritual, which is God's aim for all of us to become spiritual minded people who think of things on a on an entirely different level. The song that we sang, This world is not my home. How many of us believe it? God bless you and thank you tonight for your time. We really appreciate it.